0: Um, If you want to turn with me in uh, the Pew Bibles, um, we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 1 and verses 9 to 14. Um, You'll find that on page 1182 um, of the the Pew Bibles there. It's Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 9 this is God's word. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work the forgiveness of sins. Amen.
1: And folks, if you just keep that passage open, I'm going to go straight uh, to Colossians chapter 1 just now. During the week uh, I saw a social media post, it showed a a couple of chalkboards being used by a Christian ministry on a university campus, and the two chalkboards told uh, two different stories is how they put it. The one on the left-hand side, uh, it said, be whoever you want to be, but don't be you because you're not good enough. And they said, uh, the folks who made the chalkboard called that the world's story. And on the right-hand side, there was one that said, you've been created by a God who loves you to have a relationship with him and to bring him glory. That's God's story. If you were with us last week, you'll know that we had started to think about this message that we grow up with, uh, that that rings in our ears right throughout our lives, that we're not enough. Uh, And it was interesting to me to see, after preaching that sermon, to see that chalkboard uh, saying pretty much the same thing. Be whoever you want to be, but whatever you be, don't be yourself, because you're not enough. It's a message that's been around for as long as uh, human beings have tried to live on this earth, Uh, Paul was confronting the same challenge, the same message when he wrote to the the believers in first century Colossae. Don't be yourself because you're not good enough. On the one hand, in Colossae, they had their pagan uh, neighbors. They had a different God for every day of the week, for every eventuality. And when they discovered that a, a Christian, somebody had started to follow Uh, Jesus Christ a a Galilean whom whom the Romans had crucified they they would have been wondering well well how's that going to be enough to live by who's going to help you with your family problems who's going to help you when money's tight Uh, only one God that's not enough and on the other hand they had Jewish Christians inside their church who were saying well yeah I know you're following Jesus but you've got to do more than that. You've got, to, you've got to take on the Jewish laws. The Jewish rules about food and about holy days and about all sorts of other things. You've got to come under Jewish law just following Jesus, just trusting in him. That's not enough. So there were pressures in the culture and there were pressures inside the church on these young Christians telling them that they simply weren't good enough. Paul is desperate to help these guys, and that's why he writes this letter. He's not able to be with them. We noticed that before. These are not folks that he knows. He's never visited them before. He's not going to see them now. But he does two things that he feels able to do. He writes them, first of all, he writes them a letter uh, to encourage them, and that's where we're uh, gonna be spending our time these next few weeks. His message in a nutshell to these folks who are being told inside and outside the church that they're not enough. He says, well, if you have Jesus, because he's everything, you have enough, and in Jesus, you are enough. So that's the first thing that Paul does, is he lifts his pen and he writes them a letter. It's the first thing, but it's not the biggest thing. Not the most important thing. There's something else that Paul chooses to do. The supreme way to help any other person, is to bring them to God, to pray for them. Paul is praying in these early verses in Colossae. He tells us in verse 3 that he he never really stops praying for them. Anytime he thinks of them, he prays for them. Last week in verses 3 to 8, we saw him giving thanks he was telling us about prayers of thanksgiving that he would give for these guys in Colossae. Well, this morning, in verses 9 to 14, we're, we're gonna discover the kinds of things that he's gonna ask God for them, um, what he still wants for these young Christians. I have to say, I love the balance here. Paul is, on the one hand, thankful for them, but he also prays for them. It's like he's saying, on the one hand, there's so much in you already that I'm thankful for. You're great just as you are. And on the other hand, he seems able to say, but there's so much more that I want for you. There's so much more that I would love God to do in you. Uh, Folks, it seems to me as I look at that, that our mentors and our leaders, the people who influence us in life, can fall into two categories. And there's the the folks in our lives who, from the the first moment you met them, it seems like they just took you on. They just accepted you. They, They communicate something to you like, I love you just the way you are. And no matter how long you walk with them, whether it's a year or 10 years or the rest of your life, the message will still be the same. I love you just the way you are. We all need people like that in our lives. And I hope you have some. And then there's another kind of a person who, again, almost as soon as you meet them, you realize, flip, this, this woman's on her way somewhere. She is moving, she's going. He, he's... And, and they're inspiring. They're the kind of people, when you're around them, they make you think, goodness, there's so much more that I could be. There's so much more that just being around them, they they inspire me to to want to be something more. So there are the people who say you're enough and there are people who say you could be more. And Paul does both. Paul does both because he is a, a follower of Jesus Christ. He's starting to to walk in the world the way that Jesus walked in the world. Do you remember Jesus? The the gospel accounts tell us of his first meetings with those, those fishermen on the beach. He says two things to them. He says, come and follow me. Before he's asked them how many GCSEs they have or what kind of a degree they have or what kind of experience they have, he just accepts them. He says, you're okay as you are. Come, follow me. And then he says, I'll make you fishers of men. I'm going to make you into something more. Something different than you already are. So Jesus had this way of approaching any person and saying, you are enough. We can start. But you can be more. I'll, I'll do something with you and make you more. As I say, I think there's a a spirit of Jesus in Paul here at this point. He too has this lovely balance. You're enough, but let's see if you can be more. So this prayer then is going to be, yes, last week we talked about the thanksgiving for all the things he already sees, all the ways in which they are enough. And today he's going to start talking about how he wants them to be even more I want you to notice three things in this prayer today, three things about Paul's prayer. First of all, what he prays for, why Paul prays this, and thirdly, how Paul expects his prayer to be answered. The what, the why, and the how. So the first stop, what is it he prays for? It's it's quite simple, actually, and it comes right at the start of this wee passage. Verse nine, Paul says he's asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I like how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message at this point. He says that Paul and Timothy are telling the Colossians, we haven't stopped praying for you, asking God to give you wise minds and spirits attuned to his will so that you may acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which God works. Folks, I I get this. When I read this stuff, I think, yep, I would love that for me. Paul, thank you for praying that. But I also would love it for all of us. Because I'm a pastor. There's nothing that I want more than to see me and each one of you growing. It's, you know, I'm, I'm just looking at what Paul Asks for there, This sometimes the words and the, the, the way they come to us in the biblical text, I, I think they feel more heavy or theological than they need to. I, I get a feeling that Paul wants, wants the folks in Colossae to, to, to know what God wants for them, to get God, to know who God is, what God wants for them in their lives. Folks, this is what God wants for you. He wants you to understand him and his call in your life. That's why he's given us his word. That's why he's spoken to us, to explain himself to us. That's why we have the, the Bible, a record of that, so that we can know uh, that story and grow in it. That's why I certainly felt a call years back to, to, to learn to to share God's word with people because there's nothing more important than to know what God wants for us to grow in the knowledge of God. By the way, just in case we think it's about information, uh, you know, if you if you knew what was in the Bible somehow would be ready to live for God, uh, like you could go to get a university degree or a master's in the Bible, and and suddenly your life with God would be sorted. It's it's certainly not that. Paul talks here, verse 9, he talks about wanting the folks there to have spiritual wisdom and understanding. When he uses spiritual there, he doesn't mean spiritual in a a vague kind of a way. He means spiritual, capital S, the understanding that comes from God's spirit. So none of us are ever going to get God unless God's spirit reveals God to us. David Watson whenever he writes on the subject of the Bible in his classic book, Discipleship, he says this. Clearly much to spend depends on the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. It was by his inspiration that the written word in the scriptures came to being. Thus the spirit who inspired the word must also be the spirit who interprets it. We need the illumination of the spirit before we can ever determine God's truth. Without the spirit's help, we should be spiritually blind, attuned to God's will. People who get God. That's what Paul wants. First thing that Paul's praying for is that we would grow in our knowledge of God's will. Why is Paul praying for that? Why is that important? Why does he want... These, these Colossian believers to get God? Why is that important? Is it to help them pass their religious studies, GCSE? Is it so that they can get a, a Bible college diploma or a theological degree from a university? No. Verse 10, he tells us. He wants them to get God, to understand God's will so that they can live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. I've preached on this idea of of lives that are worthy of the Lord probably a hundred times in the fifteen years I've been at Kirkpatrick Memorial. God wants a Christian church in the world that shows people what he's like that are worthy of having his his stamp on them, his trademark. We don't want to be like those those premiership footballers or premiership managers. I don't know if this still happens. Years ago, you used to hear nearly every week about a footballer or a manager who was charged with bringing the game into disrepute. That was the language. Well, I don't want to be charged with bringing the name of Jesus into disrepute. I don't want to be one of the guys who's keeping people away from Jesus by the life I live. I want, I want to live a life worthy. What a great prayer Paul's praying. I want to encourage you. Last week, I, I took the opportunity and I really enjoyed just thanking you for who you already are. Uh, today, you know, as I read this passage, I feel inclined to do the same. Just last week, I was chatting to a woman who started coming to our church very recently. And I asked her, you know, what, what church have you come from? Do you have a, a church background? No. Didn't really go to church at all growing up. But there's something about this church that's addictive. Now, those of us who are here, we know what we're like. Okay, come on. It's like we, we struggle, don't we, from top to bottom, start to finish. But here's a person who isn't, doesn't have churchy language and the language that they choose to use is, is that, it's addictive. Once you get a bit of it, you want more. This is what Jesus wants. He wants communities of pretty screwed up people like us who simply because there's something of him in them could be addictive in the lives of other people. What could be better than that? Paul says a beautiful thing here again. I don't want you to miss this. Um, He's praying that the Colossians will please God in every way. Do you see the implication? Paul's praying that you are going to please God. And because he's praying for it, I'm going to believe that it must be possible. Has that ever occurred to you that you can please God, that you can put a smile on His face? I can see y'all struggling. You, you, this isn't us, is it? Ulster Scots Protestants. We don't. We can't make God smile. It must be other people He's talking about. This is what Paul's praying, that we would please God in every way. Reading Paul at this point reminds me of something Marilyn Robinson drew my attention to in that beautiful novel, Gilead. Calvin says somewhere that each of us is an actor on a stage and that God is in the audience. The metaphor has always interested me because it makes us artists of our behavior. I do like Calvin's image because it suggests how God might actually enjoy us. What about that? Let's pray it for each other that we'll be people who put a smile on Jesus' face. I don't think we're not going to need to be perfect to do that. I don't think that's what this is all about. I think it's people who are growing in him, who want a bit more of him in our lives. So we've seen what Paul is praying for, that the believers in Colossae get to know God better and what he's wanting for them. And we've seen why he wants that. It's because because Jesus wants people worthy of him in the world, people who put a smile on his face, people who enhance his reputation wherever they go. In the last part of our passage today, Paul elaborates on all of this and he gives us um, four different ways in which he expects this prayer to be answered. Don't worry, I'll fire through these pretty quickly. Verse 10, we're to be like a tree growing new crops every season. What kind of, you know, it's still a bit vague, isn't it? What kind of images might he have in mind? Well, he talks about um, being fruitful in every good deed. It sounds quite practical. It sounds like real life. Uh, I couldn't read this without being reminded of. Do you remember that course we did a few years ago when we taught it in church? Fruitfulness in the front lines. <coughs> Pardon me, that doesn't really work, does it? <coughs> so fruitfulness in the front lines, we tried to we tried to understand what, what how does God want me to live in the world? And we came up with the six M's. And you all remember the six M's, don't you? No? Okay, let's fire them up. Modeling God's character, we can do that. We can, what's the next one? Make good work. We can minister grace and love. We can mold the culture of our staff room or the, the office where we work. We can be a mouthpiece for truth and justice. We can be messengers of the gospel. This is what Paul's talking about. Real people live in real lives in Colossae, in Laodicea, in Herapolis. People who, whenever they walk in the room, it gets to be a better place. That's what he wants because they've got more of Jesus. They're getting to understand God's will. Second, he says he wants us to grow in the knowledge of God. I think that's actually what we've already been talking about here today. We've talked about this knowledge of God, getting God, understanding how God wants us to live. But he wants us to grow Commenting on this passage, Don Carson says, Paul is never satisfied with the mere status quo. This is important because we talked last week about how if we're in Christ, we're enough. But that doesn't rule out that we're allowed to grow. Do you you see the, the important counterbalance here? Carson says, Paul's never satisfied with the mere status quo. Christians are organisms that grow, not machines that simply perform a designated function for which they were designed. Folks, I can't see everything from up here, but I can see a lot. I can see stagnation. i can see over weeks and months and years where where the growth has stalled and i can see the grower with the light in their eyes the joy in their hearts and just the 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 desire to move forward with god are you bored in your christian life these days I'm going to bet it's because you're not growing. Because we've settled for being a, being a machine when we were created to be a, a, a plant, a tree. New crops. New crops. Every year. This is what we pray for in our lives and in each other. That will grow stronger. Paul's, the, Paul's uh, third idea is after bearing fruit, after growing in knowledge, he says, verse 11, that will be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience. It's fascinating here. He uses some pretty big language. He's praying for them that they'll have all power and that it comes from no less than God's glorious might. And why is that? Is it so that they can do incredible things, so that they can do miracles in Jesus' name, turn the world upside down? No. He wants them to get really, really, really strong. Why? For great endurance and patience. He wants them to be strong so that they can keep going. In our work. In our relationships. In our marriages. In all of our circumstances. We, we live in a culture that doesn't... Um, It may still value commitment, but seems to struggle to deliver commitment. A culture lacking resilience. It's a culture where you've heard the term, people are starting to refer to each other as snowflakes. As soon as there's any sense of the heat being turned up, we, we just melt away. Paul prays something different for the believers in Colossae. He wants the apprentices really to become like the apprentice men of great endurance, women of great, great patience. This is the kind of thing Paul would love to see in the lives in Colossae growing fruit, growing knowledge, growing stronger, the fourth thing and the last thing. Verse 12, folks who are giving joyful thanks to the Father. Paul does this a whole lot. It used to surprise me, I didn't really get it, but now I do, uh, being around longer and seeing more. Paul equates Christian maturity with gratitude loads of times. It's a real pattern in his teaching. He says a mature person is a grateful person. Gratitude, it seems to me, is a funny thing. You'd, you'd kind of imagine that it's the sort of thing that flows out of of good circumstances. So once I have everything I want, uh, once I'm finally happy, then of course I'll be grateful. That's when the gratitude's going to kick in. It seems to me now, after watching this in my own life and others' lives for a while, that it's almost the other way round. It's the person who cultivates gratitude, who learns to be grateful for what they already have, who then starts to discover the joy and the happiness. It, it, it almost works back to front. Cultivate gratitude and before long we have, have the joy. It's not so much that joy leads to gratitude. It's the spirit of gratitude that leads to our joy. So there we are, folks. We've looked over these last couple of weeks at Paul's prayer. He started with thanksgiving, thanking God for all those ways in which the folks in Colossae were already enough. And this week he's, he said, yeah, you're enough in Christ, but you can be more in Christ. Enough and more. And as he's done so in these opening 14 verses, he's reminded them a couple of times already of the gospel. And we haven't gone too deep with this Just yet, this good news about Jesus. Verses 5 to 7, he says, Do you remember when Epaphras came, he told you the good news about Jesus? That gospel is now spreading throughout the whole world. At the end of our passage, verses 13 and 14, he spells out a little bit more of what Jesus has done for us. He rescued us from the dominion of darkness, he brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. It's in the gospel that Jesus says to us, you have enough. You're acceptable to my Father in heaven because I went to the cross, because I died in your place, because I redeemed you from the power of sin and death. You have enough. But in that same gospel Jesus says to us, I'm going to make you more. My work with you doesn't end by redeeming you and bringing you to my Father. My work with you continues right throughout your life. I'm going to indwell you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to make you more. It's beautiful. Enough and more That's what God wants for us in his son, Jesus.